Welcome to The Honest Pour with John Lennart, where we go beyond the bottle to connect you with the people and places that make each wine so unique. Earlier this year on a visit to Napa Valley, I had the chance to visit Randy Snowden of Snowden Vineyards at his family's ranch. A trip there isn't exactly your typical Napa wine experience. Gone are the cathedral-like barrel rooms, the massive tasting bar, and the well-dressed staff. Instead, Snowden told me to meet him at the side of the road where I could park, hop into his pickup truck, and drive up a path that would make any off-road enthusiast squeal with joy. It was adventurous, to say the least. Once we got to the ranch, what I experienced was roughly what I would guess Napa Valley was like back in the 50s when Snowden's parents bought the property. Rugged, remote, and beautiful. After that visit, I met with Snowden in Chicago to talk about the history of the ranch, find out what makes each of the vineyards there so special, and of course, to taste some delicious wines. This episode of The Honest Pour is sponsored in part by Fooditor.com, bringing you the stories of Chicago's chefs, restaurants, and people who make food all over town. Fooditor.com. Hi, welcome to The Honest Pour. I'm John Lennart. With me today is Randy Snowden of Snowden Vineyards. Good morning, John. Thanks for joining me. So I had the opportunity last week to visit you at, at the vineyards. And I have to say it was one of the absolute most unique Napa experiences I've ever had. First of all, tell me about Snowden Vineyards. Tell me where it is and the history of the place. Okay, it's a 160 acre property on the east side of the Silverado Trail between St. Helena and Rutherford in the Napa Valley. Uh, it, it's a 160 acres exactly because it was a homestead in 1878. A man named Levi Philander Davis had come out from uh, the Midwest uh, for the gold rush, stayed on, and he homesteaded in the Napa Valley. And in those days, to perfect a homestead, you had to move on the property and put it to agricultural use. And so he cleared and planted 60 acres. And by the mid-1880s, he had uh, 60 acres being farmed. Um, if you reel forward today, we've got 23 acres of grapes and uh, the rest of the ranch is just beautiful oak woodland. And uh, everything that we do is about, is about making wine from that property. My mother and father bought the property in 1955. The family that had owned it for about 50 years uh, offered it for sale within their own sprawling family for $75 an acre and there were no takers. And so they sold it uh, to some city slickers, my parents, for $87 an acre. <laughs> we were very fortunate. So that's 63 years ago. We became grape growers and wine growers and uh, have been doing that ever since. This is rugged, hard-to-farm property about halfway up the mountain on its own little kind of uh, ridge between between St. Helena and, and uh, Rutherford. Yeah, we're on, uh, there's, there's uh, really two rounds of hills as you go east along that kind of mid-valley, mid and uh, you first get to Con Valley, and then you go up some higher hills and you get into Pope Valley. And so we're, uh, our property spans over the top of that first hill line. Uh, most of the vineyards are at about 850 feet. And as you say, it, it, there is some rugged driving to get into them. But once you get to the fields themselves, the fields are, are uh, they're certainly not rich, fertile bottomland. Uh, they're, they're very sandy, uh, volcanic soils. But they're, once you get a vineyard in, I don't think they're much more difficult to farm than valley floor. The, putting vineyards in 
I can't imagine how they put in 60 acres back in the 1880s. Uh, but today, we've got our 23 acres. That's what we want. The ranch is in, in good balance as far as we're concerned. Those 23 acres let us leave the other uh, 137 in a natural, natural state. And there's That's a lot terrific. of woodland, uh, I'm sorry, there's a lot of you know, wood, woodland creatures that uh, thrive there. But as you say, I, we're past authentic. We're, we're wilderness rustic. I'd um, imagine in my mind's eye if I went to Napa Valley in the 1940s, that this that your property would be a pretty typical Napa Valley property from the 1940s. Oh, I think that's right. In fact, in the 1940s, uh, it probably had about uh, oh seven acres of grapes and seven acres of prunes. Uh, I was down to about six of each by the time we got the place. So tell me about your four vineyards on the property, correct? There are vineyards in one, two, yeah, four areas, yes. Tell me about the four different vineyards you have. Okay. As you go east to west, on the west end of the property, which is kind of overlooking the valley across Zinfandel Lane, if you're familiar with the Napa Valley, uh, we butt up against the east side of the uh, Heights property. The St. Helena and Rutherford Appalachians meet just west of the property line. And... Uh, we have two small vineyards uh, on that west end. The lower vineyard, which is a Cabernet vineyard, goes into what we call our ranch blend. And then we have a one-acre vineyard that we call Los Ricos, and uh, it is now going into a uh, one to three barrel a year vineyard designate Cabernet. What are the other two vineyards? The other two vineyards, uh, our main vineyard area at the top of the property, uh, up, at, up at 850 feet, uh, we've got what we call the blending blocks, and that's uh, four acres total uh, with Merlot, Cabernet Franc, and Petit Verdot. Oh, that's right. It's five vineyards there. Uh, well, the, yeah, the blending blocks right. are adjacent. It's it, uh, adjacent to our, our biggest vineyard that we call the Brothers Vineyard. That's our more or less main Cabernet vineyard. Uh, and then at the east end of the property, there is a little, a little valley, a little hidden valley, just before it drops down a very steep incline to, to Lake Hennessy. And then right across Lake Hennessy is Pritchard Hill. And so at that east end of the property, we've got uh, about five acres, one acre of Sauvignon Blanc, the only white wine grape that we grow, and uh, four acres of Cabernet, which also is going into our ranch blend. It's interesting that that lost... It's called the lost. You call it the lost. Uh, lost orchard. The lost orchard. Yeah. In the lost orchard, there, it's kind of almost like a little bowl, and at the at the bottom of the bowl is where you have your Sauvignon Blanc, and up on the sides of the bowl is where you're you're growing your Cabernet. There, yeah. We originally had Cabernet in the whole thing, and the Cabernet at the bottom of the little bowl uh, was never comfortable there. It's, it's very shallow soil. It's the shallowest acre in, on the entire property. And it's also the only acre susceptible to frost. Uh, so it, it's, it's cooler there. And the Cabernet was just having trouble getting ripe. And, uh, we never kept those grapes for our own wines. And, uh, we finally said, acknowledge the obvious. We had the wrong grape growing in that spot. And so we, uh, replanted to uh, Sauvignon Blanc, had our first Sauvignon Blanc in 2009, and uh, it was, it is, the Sauvignon Blanc is very happy there. It, if you look at it in high summer, uh, next to these kind of stately patrician, 
Cabernet vines, it's like having a mosh pit down in the bottom of the uh, bottom of the little valley. It's just this exuberant, loud crowd of vines growing Sauvignon Blanc. Where your where your, where your property is, because of the way the AVA lines are drawn, you're not really in an AVA, are you? You're kind of between two, so you have to call your wines Napa Valley as opposed to uh, a uh, AVA. Well, you remember the. Uh, the, the quote from, I assume it was a baron uh, at, at Mouton, uh, I, I am not first, I will not be second, I am Mouton. Uh, we are not uh, St. Helena, we are not Rutherford, we are not Pritchard Hill, we are not Howell Mountain, we are Snowden. Uh, but we're in, an, in a little uh, spot that's nestled among those four appellations. And uh, I, I I think that for three of them, there are kind of archetypical characteristics of at least three of those appellations that we feel like we can, we can see reflected in our wines. The structure, the tannin, the unapologetic tannins and structure of Howell Mountain, the, uh, the perfume and delicacy of St. Helena, and then the... Uh, I know you're not supposed to use the word leather in connection with Cabernet if you... Uh, but I think that that dry, dry, uh, dry, leathery, dusty thing that happens in in Rutherford, uh, I think all of those things you can you can get hints of in our wine. So the label Snowden isn't very old. It's started when? Well, uh, we started making our own wines in 1993. So 93. Yeah. Clearly, your family had 50 years or so yes. before 93 of growing grapes. What was going on, what was happening with those grapes while your family was growing them then? Well, when we first got the property in the 50s, they were going into the two great cuvées of the Napa Valley at the time. Uh, there was Golden Chasselas going into what was called mixed white, and there was Petite Syrah going into what was called mixed black. <laughs> uh, but then, then my so father- Golden Chasselas is Palomino, right? Uh, I believe there may be a very tiny genetic difference between the two, but essentially the answer to your question is yes. So real low Those, acid. Yes, uh, sherry grape, or uh, right. it was just, it was going into what at the time was called Chablis. <laughs> uh, and it, I'm sure, went out the door in gallons. But if you reel forward, my dad put the first Cabernet uh, onto the property in the 1960s. He died in the 70s, and uh, my brother and I took over managing the ranch. My brother Scott and I uh, are kind of the, the managers of the business. And in uh, 81, we replanted the main vineyard, and through the 80s, our father had died. We were learning to be wine growers as opposed to the sons of wine growers. And we sold exclusively to Warren Winyarski at Stag's Leap Wine Cellars. And uh, that was a perfect, a perfect home for our grapes because he was such a, uh, a rigorous and demanding buyer. And he had a wonderful vineyard consultant, Danny Schuster, uh, who was working with us, and we really learned our vineyards. That was the, year, the period that we learned our vineyards. When Stag's Leap bought the, uh, the Fay Vineyard down in, in Stag's Leap uh, in 1991, they started buying less outside fruit. And so we sold for a year or two to Camus. We started a long-term relationship with Silver Oak. Uh, we've sold to David Ramey and Viadere, but we also started 
holding grapes back. These are some big names you're selling to. These are not, uh, you're not selling jug wine anymore. No, we're definitely not selling jug wine. And I think that uh, the, you know, that, that eastern, eastern ridge is one of the areas of the Napa Valley. There are several areas in the Napa Valley that have a, uh, uh, a kind of a regional or, or area following. And uh, it's, uh, especially if you like more traditional, classic, structured wines, it's a good place to be growing them. So, so 1993 comes along and Stag's Leap buys Fay, and now you have this excess fruit. Um, you start your long-term relationships with Camus and Silver Oak and the others. When did you decide, okay, we're going to bottle and label and sell our own wine? Well, it was the same. It was exactly that, that point. We Not only did we start selling to uh, other people, but we held some fruit back, and uh, we just picked, we picked the donut hole in the donut that we, was our absolute favorite spot, which is the spot that today is, is uh, our brother's vineyard designate wine. And uh, the first year, we made 383 cases. Uh, and uh, what is that, 15 barrels of wine, um, and uh, have s slowly been growing, growing the program to the point that now we're making uh, uh, about 3,000 cases a year. And there's, there's, no, there's no winemaking facility on the property. Where are you making the wine? We make our wine over on Spring Mountain, Mountain at a, uh, a small winery called Fantesca. Uh, it's a wonderful home for us. We have what's called an alternating proprietorship. And uh, the uh, owners of Fantesca are, are very, very good hosts. Uh, they have Heidi Barrett-Peterson making their own wines, and then our winemaker, Diana Sess, is making our wines. And uh, it's, we're very lucky to have that relationship. Diana's your niece, correct? Diana is, it's Diana Snowden Sess, yes. Should we take some wine? Sure. Great, what do we have here first? Uh, the first is our, uh, what, what we sometimes refer to as the second Cabernet. It is uh, the Snowden Vineyards Cabernet Sauvignon, the ranch, and uh, so this is just a cuvee of different blocks to exactly, exactly. It's it's the lower lower vineyard, the uh, lost orchard, and a little bit from uh, one block of the brothers' vineyard. It's seventy five percent Cabernet blended with Merlot, uh, Cabernet Franc, and Petit Verdot. Uh, so it's a Bordeaux style blend. Um, and what's the vintage? This is the 2014. This is 14. Okay. Yes. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And we make our wines. We want you with these wines to be able to taste our site, taste the vintage, and taste the varieties. And so to do that, we make our wines intentionally. We make our wines with enough room in them, in the glass, in the wine, for you to be able to get into them and detect the nuances and the, 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 more, uh, the more subtle distinctions. Uh, we do that by making the wine as non-invasively as we can. We don't, add, we don't add yeast to start the oh, wine. Oh, so this is all wild fermentation. Yeah, I, I call it feral because okay. it's also yeast floating yeah. around in a, uh, uh, in a cellar. But we don't add yeast, we don't add sugar, we don't add acid, we don't add digestive enzymes, we don't do long extended macerations. We ferment to dry and then we press off after about two weeks. We don't amend grape sugar back in, uh, so our wines, uh, our wines are dry. We've cut back to only 50% new oak because 
we, we want the oak to be in harmony with, but not overshadow uh, the wines. And uh, so as a result, we end up with bigger wines in warmer years and more uh, streamlined and So why is it expressive wines. of the vintage? That's, uh, you know, half the fun for me is that 07 is very different from 08. Uh, it does mean that if you are, if you only like wines that are in the big California, Cabern the new Cabernet style of the big rich residual sugar Cabernet, then you're not gonna like our wines as much when they're coming from cool years. If you prefer wines that are in a more classic uh, Bordeaux style, then you're gonna prefer our wines probably generally, but uh, certainly in the cooler years. I, I just get off on the fact that the seven and the eight are, uh, you know, they're siblings, but they're siblings that are so different. You know, the sure. eight was a, uh, seven was a, uh, a big pleaser for people who like the bigger, richer wines. The, the Robert Parker uh, really loved our 07. The 08, he liked fine, but he, it isn't as much in the wheelhouse. Not his style there. as much, sure. Yeah, on the other hand, I think that, I think the 08 is just the most elegant, balanced wine could be. Now, you're pretty non-interventionalist along the way. Do you do any finding or filtering, uh, SO2, any of that? We have, uh, we normally find, yes, we use SO2. Uh, we normally uh, do an egg white, a light egg white finding on the, the Sauvignon Blanc, but we only make about 100 cases, 150 cases of that. And uh, there was one year in the past, and I'm not remembering exactly which, there was one year where we did a light egg white finding on the, uh, the, the ranch, but that would mean that we've probably made 50 lots of wine since 1993, and uh, besides the Sauvignon Blancs, we have fined one, and uh, we haven't filtered any of them. Pretty non-interventionalist. We're definitely, that's correct. And as far as farming goes, we're within hugging distance of organic. Uh, I was going to say shouting, but we're much closer than that. The last, our, the last frontier for us is phosphorus. Well, these volcanic soils are low in phosphorus, and so we've always had to, in micro-fertilization in the, in the drip line, we've had to do a slight amendment for phosphorus. And, uh, uh, two years ago, they came out with an organic phosphorus amendment, and we're piloting it on 10% of the vineyard. And uh, next year will be our third year, and if it's successful, then we will switch the entire ranch to the uh, to the organic phosphorus, and then we'll be then we'll be organic. Wow. Okay. Uh, but we don't use Roundup or other herbicides. Uh, we don't use. We haven't used pesticides at all in the last 20 years, except when the government requires us to. And when the European grapevine moth came into the valley, they mandated, uh, they, they mandated application for that, and so we complied with the law. But other than that, we're, uh, as I say, we're very close to organic. Healthy vineyards, organic, holistic, healthy vineyards make better wine. Absolutely. And that, that's that's our goal. Diana Diana has been really the 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 family leader on the the notion that we are growing the wine. It's coming out of the dirt. 
and we need to we need to usher it uh, in as as healthy and intact a way as we possibly can into the bottle. Into Great. The Let's give this a taste. Okay. This is a 2014 Ranch Cabernet Sauvignon. You said earlier that you're kind of in this point of convergence between St. Helena and Rutherford and Pritchard Hill, and it has all those kind of elements to it. It's got that real floral uh, thing from St. Helena. It's got that dusty, um, for lack of a better word, dusty Rutherford fruit. I can really see that coming through yeah. here. It's it's really an expression of the place. It it is, and Diana also uh, she she has said uh, she feels like part of the signature of the property is uh, blueberries and lavender, and mm -hmm. I get both of those in there too. For now, sure. I, you know, I have to say that in this in this kind of a medium of our conversation, I feel okay saying that. Normally, I really shy away from telling people what they're tasting. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, what, no, no, no. But I, you know what I mean? People, people, fun... people want to know. You know, when I look at a label here, I see Snowden. I don't know what's different. It says Snowden Cabernet Napa Valley. That doesn't tell me anything, right? Yep. Uh, the whole idea of the AVA is to give the consumer an idea of what they're buying. Well, you know, you can only put Napa Valley on there. So what is that really telling me other than it's... No, I, really I, Cabernet, and it's going to be expensive. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I understand. It's just, uh, you know, the the uh, part of the magic of wine is is that it is uh, the sensation is subjective, and uh, you know the you, you'll never see on our back label anything that says coffee and chocolate with hints right. of lavender and whatever. It's uh, we really rely on people being able to taste the wine and say yes, this this is a wine that speaks to me and so I'm going to uh, go ahead and get four more bottles. So there's a beautiful complexity to this and uh, yeah this is about wine that you want to have four more bottles of in your in your cellar for sure to see how it, it it's drinking beautifully now the tannins are nice and silky and I think this wine has quite a bit of time to age too I mean this could go 20-30 years easy I'd imagine. I, I, I think that you're uh, I agree with you um, one of the uh, you know the blending the blending varieties that are in here, uh, particularly in this 14, I think will lend themselves to good cellaring. Um, Cabernet Franc, when when a wine is blended with Cabernet Franc when it's young, in the say at age two, it can make the wine kind of angular. But by the time as now this is a is three, it uh, has knitted together. And it creates this framework that I, I feel like carries a wine forward. And then you add in Petit Verdot. The Merlot makes it more accessible. The Petit Verdot adds uh, spice and uh, aroma. Uh, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a good, a good aging wine. Great. So what do we have next? This is our first Cabernet. It is uh, a vineyard designate from the Brothers Vineyard. There's actually a uh, two and a half acre section within the Brothers Vineyard that uh, is on the east slope of a little a little knoll in the middle of the Brothers Vineyard that we call Palomino Hill because it was planted sure. to Palomino grapes. And uh, so this wine is, it's a, uh, no, it's 98% Cabernet Sauvignon and 2% Petit Verdot. Uh, and the Cabernet Sauvignon, it comes from the area that historically has been 
the heart of our first Cabernet. Uh, until through 2011, we were calling our first Cabernet the Ran I'm sorry, uh, Reserve. But starting in uh, 2013, we had replanted the Brothers Vineyard and it immediately leapt back to the front of the line. And uh, we knew that it was going to be the heart of our first wine for going forward. And so we felt a vineyard designation was more informative. It, uh, Rather than just being a tête de cuvée. Yes, exactly. So uh, this is this is the Brothers. It, uh, and what's the elevation of the Brothers? The Brothers is the highest elevation vineyard you have, right? It is. It is. And it is about 100, and, I'm sorry, 850 feet. 850 feet. And yeah. it is the road to get up there is a treacherous, rocky, I wouldn't call it a road, uh, path that you could wedge a four-wheel drive pickup truck up. I, I, have to, I, I have to admit there are two ways to get to the Brothers Vineyard. And uh, I, I did take you on the historic route, which was the route that until, until uh, around 1980, that was the only way to get to the Brothers Vineyard. And it, it is a real trek. It's adventurous. Yes, it is. Uh, today, you can also take Rutherford Hill Road and follow it up to the top of the hill where uh, it kind of enters our property at the middle next to the uh, the halls and uh, the Sloan estate. And <laughs> Fancy neighborhood. Yeah, it's a nice neighborhood. There is there is a better road, which uh, I may not have let you not see. Not nearly as interesting. I'm, no. I'm glad you took me the way you did. All right, so this is 2014 Brothers Vineyard Cabernet. Well, again, really pretty, uh, super floral. I see that kind of blueberry mm -hmm. expression that you were talking about. This wine screams for food. It the does. Acidity, the acidity is beautiful. The fruits in balance. Um, no, these are wow. not, these are not port-like sipping wines. These no. are uh, these are absolutely wines, more classic, classic style that are made. Uh, we're not uh, we're not afraid of tannin. And, no, uh, but the tannin's still silky, though. It's not that yeah. kind of rough, grippy, wooly tannin yeah. that feels like it's scrubbing on the front of your teeth. This is tannin that's integrated with the acidity and the fruit and the minerality of this wine. It's simply stunning. Thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, and there's a nice there there's a nice body to the wine. I think that the mid palate uh, the mid palate is good. It mm -hmm. has has a lot of. Uh, uh, interesting spice on and, and different flavors kind of in yeah. the back but uh, and as you say the the tannins are definitely there it's another wine that I think will age well uh, but it also has a lot going on right now and finally what do we have and then we have a, a, a cellar cellar wine cellared wine it's the 2008 reserve uh, oh. it's a wine that we held we held Part of the vintage back, and uh, it it was a competition of all the vineyards at the ranch. It does actually the reserve does not have uh, the 2008 reserve does not have Brothers Vineyard fruit in it. Oh, okay. That vineyard uh, we replanted it. Uh, it. We pulled it out after the 09 harvest and replanted it in 11, and that was because it had uh, it had gone in in the early 80s and uh, phylloxera had gotten in sure. the vineyard. Yep. 
And so it had dropped from our first wine into our second wine. And then we weren't keeping the grapes at all. We were selling the grapes. And so in 2008, the other Cabernet blocks would compete. And each year, the block that we thought was the highest quality would go into our reserve. And then we made the ranch. Uh, and so in 2008, the, uh, uh, the Western vineyards 2008, a cooler year, it was the Western Vineyards, Los Ricos, and the Lower Vineyard that uh, went, into the, went into the reserve. I see. And then I'm going to take a step back here before we taste this. So you said the Brothers Vineyard was replanted in 2011. Yes. So this is 2014, that was the, is the first really vintage from Brothers? 13 was, 13 was. the first year. Oh, yeah, we actually, we made one barrel in 12. We were just dying just to see to what know. it was doing. Yeah, and so we gleaned their, their it's a very close, closely planted vineyard. Uh, and so in the 11 acres, we have 22,000 vines. And we gleaned about 800 pounds of grapes, just enough to make one barrel. And uh, since we didn't have topping wine, we topped it with sterilized marbles. Right. Uh, an old burgundy trick, mm -hmm. and uh, it just was immediately apparent that the Brothers Vineyard was going to step back into uh, the front of our parade. And so that's when we decided to switch to the vineyard designation. 13, we made about 700 cases, and in 14, we made about 700 cases. So now we're online and running, and yeah. again, for, for young vines, it's delicious. Uh, young vines have always done, uh, frankly, I think it's a Napa Valley trait. Uh, when Stag's Leap won the Paris tasting, uh, those were young vines. And uh, you know, Warren Winiarski, he always described his, his goal was to make wines that were a, a, an iron fist in a velvet glove. Right. Uh, and Costa Estornel was his, his uh, I think, guiding star. Uh, but those vines were very young. That Stag's Leap Vineyard was in its first first uh, first few years oh, okay. when he made the, mm -hmm. I guess it was the 74 that won the 76 tasting, 73 or 4, yeah. uh, and they were only a few years old. Wow. All right, so back to the 2008. Wow, so while the other wines were pretty, this wine is elegant. There's, it's, a, it's a little more... Restrained and it is demure. It, it was a cooler year. It did not make big, rich mm. uh, wines. It made very balanced, elegant, and uh, this wine also is has the advantage now of uh, what is it? Nine years, uh, nine years, two years in in barrel, and. Uh, uh, seven years in bottle, and there are just there are aspects of a wine that we all know you can only get it by a having a wine that is susceptible of aging, and b letting it age. Mm -hmm. uh, the fruit's gone. For me, it's a little less blue and a little more red berries. I think to me here. Um, yes. Yes. But again, a wine that that wants to be wants to have food along with it. Just, they said these so nice and high, and wow, long. You just keep tasting this and tasting this and tasting this. Yes. And this is a nice example of what mature Napa Valley Cabernet can really be. This is beautiful. Yeah, there's no question that uh, there's nothing like an aged wine. And, and these flavors that come on, that, you know, the, 
mushroom or whatever you want to call it. There, there's just stuff that comes into the wine. Yeah, and it's, it's to me, this wine isn't quite getting that. It, there's a little bit of that earthiness coming back to it, but it's still drinking relatively young. Just the, that integration has come along, and it, like I said, it's mature and not old. Yes. Oh, definitely. No, this wine is... Uh, it is in its prime, but I would say that it is probably, uh, I don't think it's reached mid-prime yet. No, I right. think this wine is still coming on. And uh, I, we feel like it's a, uh, a perfect time. You know, it's not being the, in this re-release of some, some library wine. It's not being brought out with, drink this now. <laughs> yeah, no, no, right. <laughs> no, this wine can sit down another... 10, 20 years, easy. Yes. Easy. Yes. On the other hand, it's not a teenager anymore. No, right. Much like driving up that dirt path is difficult to get to the vineyards, your wines are difficult to get. I mean, it's not like I can drive it on Highway 29 and pop in your tasting room. You don't have a tasting room that I can stop at. These probably these wines aren't going to be on the shelf at your local uh, mega wine shop. How does one go about getting your wines? Well, a good way to start would be to go to your trusted wine monger and uh, say, do you have Snowden? And if she or he says, no, I don't. Say, can you get it for me? And the chances are that she or he will be able to get it for you. So it's fairly accessible. You just have to do a little bit of work. Yes, we have we have marvelous distributors, and uh, so we and most we are available in most markets. Uh, from our from our perspective, we're going down into very specific places. We we want to be in shops and restaurants with people who are knowledgeable about wine, understand what we're doing, and are able to present us to, to people who, who our wines will appeal to. Uh, but if you're one of those people and you're not seeing the wines, uh, there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to get them. Now, Napa Valley wines can be expensive. Um, the property's expensive. It's not always easy to farm. Um, what, what, what are we looking at price rise roughly for your bottles of wine? Well, roughly for the bottles of wine, the, uh, the Brothers Vineyard and the uh, Library Reserve, uh, the suggested retail is $80. The, uh, the Ranch, our second Cabernet, the suggested retail is $50. Okay, so right around where you'd expect a, a median Napa Valley Cabernet to be? Um, it's, we're actually, uh, we don't boast about it, but we're probably a little bit less expensive. Yeah, I, for, the, for the quality that you're pouring out. Small, well, uh, both Robert Parker and uh, Antonio Galoni have remarked uh, on one or more of our wines each that these may be the best value in a state-specific Napa Valley Cabernet on the market. And while I don't always agree with Mr. Parker, I definitely agree with that statement. <laughs> uh, that, 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 yeah, I think that's particularly because of the way things fall and the way you're, you're, you're labeling your bottles uh, with the vineyard designates. It's a great expression of the place. It's a great expression of the vintage that you, you maintain each year. Uh, your wines are completely delicious. I wish everyone could have the opportunity at some point to go up that, that dirt road with you and taste your wines under that barrel, uh, under that oak tree on that old rickety barrel that we tasted on. Fortunately, that's not not, not always uh, going to be likely for folks. But in order to capture that, go out and get some Snowden. The, the wines are delicious. They're, 
they're integrated, they're beautiful. You could drink them now, you could lay them down. I say buy a few bottles and try a little bit of each. Randy Snowden, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. John, I'm very grateful for being here. Thank you so much. For John's tasting notes on the wines from this episode, go to www.thehonestpoorpod.com. Make sure you catch every episode by subscribing to The Honest Pour with John Lennart at iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Play Store. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at The Honest Pour with John Lennart and follow us on Twitter at The Honest Pour. This has been The Honest Pour with John Lennart. Music by Kevin McLeod. 